welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, May 12th. Yesterday, we gave you the outline of this MLB proposal and how it might affect some of your leagues. Today, we're taking a look at the biggest winners and losers from, hopefully, every angle possible. You don't earn the nickname Scotty Dubs unless you are a winner. How's it going, Scott? I know you've been grinding away with this latest proposal. Yeah, yeah, I I I uh I thought through it quite a bit last night, put out a couple articles, one of them being the five biggest winners and losers uh based on the new schedule proposal where teams would be playing against just their own division and the corresponding division in the opposite league. You know, to- there's some interesting takeaways from there. I'm not sure it's the the biggest thing to take away from the new proposal, but I dove into it a little bit, and we can talk about that this show, among other things. Oh, we shall. We shall do exactly that. Tuesdays are usually for drafts we like to do, and we create these fun teams. We've done the all-disappearing act team, the one-year wonder team, uh, but this seems like the closest that we've been to a proposal that is legitimate that you know the closest we've been to you know getting an announcement on the MLB season so because of that uh, that's why we're jumping into the winners and losers here and you know maybe we'll address some of those drafts and teams in the offseason again as well Chris Adam how you guys doing everything well all good baby Woo! rocking and rolling Frank ready ready to go rocking and rolling let's do it email of the day from Chris Perkins hey Nelson Giancarlo and Chris with a K Those are all designated hitters. I was wondering who you guys think will benefit the most from the proposed universal DH. This is something we've talked about maybe a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, but I wanted to kind of uh, readdress the situation here now that it does seem like this is actually going to happen. My nomination, Chris's nomination, is undoubtedly Aristides Aquino, the Punisher. The guy carried my team for a stretch last year, and I think he could be the one of the best DHs in the league if given the chance. Would love to hear your opinion on which player would benefit most from this popo- proposal. Adam, let's start with you. Uh, Aristides Aquino, I think, is a great one, but I think there are some other names there still in the mix for Cincinnati. Uh, who is your biggest winner if the DH is when the DH is in the National League? I thought about the Brewers and Avi Garcia and Ryan Braun. I've had this conversation, this discussion with you guys before. I know Chris likes Braun, it seems, a lot, and Scott's excited about Garcia, so this would clear up some playing time. I do wonder if Ryan Braun would be as good as he was last year if he played more regularly. Perhaps part of his success was, you know, get a little breather every now and then, uh, more so than most players, but... I'd be, I guess, a little bit more excited about the upside of Garcia. Personally, I don't think Garcia is a very good player, but <laughs> I respect Scott quite a bit, and Scott's excited about Avi Garcia, so this will help. Yeah. This will clear a, a little bit of a of a playing time logjam in Milwaukee. Yeah, I don't know if it would change things because what what's really crushed Ryan Braun's value in recent years is because he's he just has so many nagging things going on. I think it mainly it's like the back, but he also had. Thumb surgery a while back, and and yeah, they he he gets 
he gets scheduled off days to hold up over a full season. I'm not sure if the availability of the DH spot would change that or not. It's 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 a good thought because obviously his body's not taking as much of a beating if he's just batting every game. Uh, I'm I'm not sure about that, but it it could be it could be a big deal because you know on a per game basis his production's still been very solid. You yeah, know what's crazy? Steals too. Ryan Braun has had double digit steals in six straight seasons and in every season except 2013 when he was limited to just 61 games. That is just that is mind blowing. He's had back to back seasons of 20 plus home runs and double digit steals. So. Continuing to get it done, even at his advanced age. Uh, played 144 of 162 games last season. Avi Garcia has spiked a few times with the batting average last year, 282. Uh, got the stolen bases up to 10 last year, and then 330 back in 2017 with the White Sox. Obviously, uh, would be a nice little park improvement there coming over to Miller Park from Tampa Bay. Chris, Are who we... would be... What do you got, Chris? Did we mention, I mean, I know we talked about him yesterday, but did we mention the other guy from the Brewers who would be a big winner? Yeah, Smoke is in this mix, too. Yeah, Justin Smoke. Another Um, guy who I don't think is a very good hitter. (laughs) I think he, I don't know, it's hard to say. He's He has appeared to be very unlucky two years in a row. How much of that is actually bad luck? Well, that's that's a different question, I suppose. Maybe he's the anti-Marco Estrada, Chris. How about that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, we have all these these advanced stats that purport to tell us what a player's quote-unquote true talent level is, but, you know, there, there are surely some things that these stats just miss and things that these stats just miss consistently, and it could be that a player like Smoke, who is wildly unathletic, uh, might fall through the cracks. Chris, let's stick with you. Um, unless Justin Smoke is your response for who is the biggest beneficiary of the dh in the national league no uh he's definitely up there but um aquino's definitely up there as well i'm I'm trying to stall so i can pull up the column that i wrote about this which is on cbssports.com and which i should have had dominic smith chris uh dominic smith absolutely i mean he was he is still i think only 24 i think he's actually a few months younger than pete alonso still which is kind of mind-blowing because he's been a top prospect and he's been written off already in his career. Um, But yeah, he showed some real signs last year. I think it's an open question as to whether uh, every day at bats would expose him, but he was, I believe, a swing change guy who started hitting the ball in the air more often last season. And uh, I would guess he'll get the primary uh, DH duties at least until um, Yoannis Cespedes is as healthy, which may never happen. Uh, if Johan Cespedes is healthy enough to play, obviously, uh, he could be a big winner too. But my biggest ones in this column, which has finally loaded on my very slow computer, are Dylan Carlson, Garrett Hampson, and Austin Riley. I think uh, at least for Carlson and Riley, this probably opens up a direct path to everyday playing time. Uh, and that might have been there anyway. For both of them, uh, they, they kind of had to force the, the issue in spring. But if the, the Cardinals and Braves respectively have a DH to play with, I would expect Carlson and Austin Riley to be in the lineup pretty much every day. And yeah. they both have significant upside. Um, 
I would probably be more willing to, I don't know which of Carlson or Riley I'd be more willing to draft. I think probably Riley just because at no point has his ADP gone up during the spring, even when, mm-hmm. you know, the assumption coming in, I think, was that he wasn't going to have a job. Then it was very clear that he was in an open competition with the, I can't remember his name. That's how overwhelming he is. Johan Camargo, who's kind of just a guy. Um, and there was just no interest in Austin Riley. And I think it was because he came up and was awesome for a month and then crushed everyone for a month and a half. And I think people yeah. kind of gave up. So uh, I like Austin Riley with one of my last round picks. I liked him before the talk about the DH and uh, this just cements it for me. Austin yeah. Riley's ADP is 301.8 according to fantasy pros. And you mentioned that first month, his first 43 games, 14 home runs and a 908 OPS, albeit with a four and a half percent walk rate and a 32.6% K rate. Again, that is Austin Riley. Scott, who do you think has more upside? Because I thought uh, Chris raised an interesting question. Dylan Carlson or Austin Riley? I think, I think, I think Carlson both has the higher ceiling and the higher floor. The higher ceiling because he can run, at least in theory. We don't always know how that's going to translate, but that's um, something he showed he could do in the minors. And better plate discipline and that's what i worry about for riley too the strikeout rate throughout his minor league career has been an issue it looked the best it had been so far at triple a last year before he got called up but then of course he struck out a ton in the majors he there was some hope that he had closed a hole in his swing this spring and he you know it was obviously a tiny sample against pitchers who were working to flesh out their arsenals but he didn't strike out much so, you know, there's obviously a chance he's so young, has the pedigree, he could take a big step forward and, and end up being the more productive player. But I see him as basically, um, his ceiling is like uber power hitter guy when Carlson may be more of a across the board threat. So that's that's kind of how I shape that up. But yeah, I mean, nobody seems to want Riley at all. And Carlson's kind of a trendy player right now. So the easier one to get is Riley. And, uh, you know, and drafts that go on long enough that you can justify taking him. I think it's I think it's a great pick. I think that's I think he's even more certain than Carlson to to get the playing time with the DH spot. Scott, let's stick with you. Would you choose one of Carlson or Riley to be the biggest winners uh, with the DH in the National League or would you go in a different direction? No, those were the first two names I was thinking of. So okay, Chris cool. kind of took all my answers. But, but <laughs> Garrett Hampson is absolute. We haven't. I mentioned him, but we haven't talked about him. Who? Garrett Hampson. Oh, you know th- this. He he probably wouldn't play DH, but this is just another path to uh, yeah. playing time that he didn't otherwise have. Yeah, it's hard to say who exactly is the winner for the Rockies because they had so many bats who looked like they could be in and out of the lineup, and now they're all seemingly assured more playing time of course you never know with them maybe ian desmond will become the full-time dh but uh, sam hilliard i would think would benefit there as well although he may be limited to playing just against righties no matter what uh i also think chris kind of broke down the the Mets situation but it's hard for me not to think of jd davis as a big winner too just because there's no doubt now he's Scott. going to play every day when Scott, before it's, it was it's like, hard that for was, you it's hard for you not to think of J.D. Davis, period. It, it's true. It's true. But that Scott's was going like, to find a way to talk about Mark Canna in the National League. 
<laughs> that was like the one holdup. Like, what if Dominic Smith starts dealing bats in left field? What if Yoannis Cespedes does? I mean, J.D. Davis is a terrible defender. Could they? Will his bat be good enough to stick in the lineup? And now it's just like, all right, D.H. Yeah, I'll throw one more name out there, like kind of like Garrett Hampson. I'm sorry if I missed this, but Gavin Lux, mm-hmm. another yeah. guy who great minor league numbers, little cup of coffee last year wasn't great, but. Should be able to find ways to keep him in the lineup if he hits. Yeah, probably Muncie would DH a lot, right? Or hmm. I would I mean, hope I, so. I would hope Lux would be a winner, but it's just with the Dodgers, you just never really know. They have plus, so many different players that they yeah. at their disposal. Chris Taylor, AJ Pollock. I mean, Pollock could be a clear winner there too. You don't want the guy to get hurt diving yeah, for balls true. in the outfield. You could play him at DH, right? Well, so, yeah, Pollock if, if was Jock actually Peters, my. Jock Peterson would probably be the DH, right? And then that opens up left field for Pollock and second base for Lux. Yeah, but I guess pa- you know Chris Taylor could still interfere. Yeah, Pollock was my choice for the Dodgers in in my column as well. Uh, not necessarily because he'll play DH, but just because it gives him the it gives them the option to put him at DH, and he's another guy like Ryan Braun who. Uh, could probably definitely use more time off than your normal player, and maybe the DH gives him gives them the flexibility to do that. And just another thing on Lux, one thing that works against him though, I'm just I'm going back right now and looking at his lefty righty splits in the minors. There have been a lot of stops where he's been pretty bad against lefties, so the DH may not matter. That's just a reason to to sit him against lefties, which which you know I, I, based on his splits that I'm seeing now probably would happen. Some quick news and notes I want to hit on here. Uh, these are really from the weekend more than anything, but Miguel Andujar is 100%, or so he says, at least somebody on the Yankees is 100%. Uh, Andujar has been working out at the Yankees complex in Florida five days a week and has had no trouble with his surgically repaired right shoulder. Uh, George A. King of the New York Post reports uh, this quote from Andujar, I feel great. I'm working out five days a week, building strength, working with the trainers, exercising and doing my best to stay sharp. Uh, Andujar indicated in an email, I feel 100%. I am very happy where I am at physically. While we're talking about teams that have a ton of depth, like the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Yankees are up there as well. Even with Andujar being 100%, it's, nobody really knows how everything is going to shake out, even with the uh, injury to Judge. Giancarlo Stanton is working his way back. Aaron Hicks is working his way back. They have Talkman. They have Clint Frazier. They have Luke Voigt at first base. Just so many names there. Uh, but something to keep in mind, Andujar is healthy. And George Springer is wanted back in Houston. I mean, what else are the Houston Astros going to say? He's entering a contract year. I don't want to get too much into this, but do you guys believe in contract years being a thing? It's just something I wanted to bring up because you do randomly see these spike years in contract years. No. no. Uh, uh, knowing that Scott and Chris are going to say no, I'll just say that I do believe they can be a thing, but I don't think that you like, – like you said, you do see players – randomly like go off in a contract year and it's just it makes sense that some of them would be motivated by getting their next contract right but but it's too hard to predict it doesn't happen often enough so you can't do anything about it so this has definitely been researched uh i think um baseball prospectus had a book in like 2005 that was called baseball by the numbers or baseball behind the numbers something like that and what they found was that production doesn't players don't necessarily play better on a per game basis in contract years, but they are more likely to play more games in a contract year. Uh, more likely probably to uh, play through nagging injuries and stuff like that, which, you know, it'll it'll possibly hurt your rate stats, but in terms of the, um, you know, counting stats, it, it, it can certainly help. 
I wonder if players, they get paid so much more money now than they used to, that what that study would look like 15 years later. Well, I mean, so few players actually reach free agency uh, at a point where they can take advantage of it that I think that sure. that probably still does matter uh, with given how tight the free agent market has become uh, in the NH- NFL. I don't think you see as much of a, a, a team breaking the bank for a player coming off an outlier season because they're, they're more skeptical of it than they would have been in the past, too. I think, I think that's at play. Yeah, here. probably. Gosh, yeah. The, the arbitration system is just so bad. Yeah. Just the next so CBA bad. for uh, the MLB is going to be a very, very interesting one, to say the least. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk about scheduling. Scott wrote an article on CBSSports.com of the top five winners and losers according to the latest scheduling in this proposal. We'll do all of that right after this quick break. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. All right, let's take a look at these divisions, what things are going to look like, the teams that they're going to be facing, and any winners and losers, just anything possible that we can take away from this. Uh, Scott mentioned it at the top of the podcast that the... The Eastern Division, I guess you could say, the AL East and the NL East are going to wind up just playing each other so that they can stay in their geographic location. So we'll start there in the East, which would include the Yankees, the Rays, the Red Sox, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, the Mets, the Nationals, Marlins, Braves, and Phillies. I took a look at Scott's starting pitcher rankings, and your top three starting pitchers all come from this division. Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, five of your top ten, and nine of your top twenty. So this was actually the division that has the highest percentage of elite starting pitchers. Your top 20 starting pitchers are come from the NL and AL East. You know, what What else is there to take away from this? Because the, the offenses, I took a look, six teams in the top half of the league last year in run scored, park factors, uh, five of the top nine best parks for home runs come from this division, the Phillies, the Orioles, 
the Nationals, the Blue Jays, the Yankees. So it seems mixed. It seems like very top-heavy with elite starting pitching, Scott, but then it also seems like, you know, there are some teams lower down on the spectrum, like the Oreos that you could beat up on, the Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, and there's some really good parks to hit in here as well. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think this is one of those things that you could look too much into because most of the divisions are pretty balanced. The The three that have the most uh, personality, I guess, the most... Uh, what, what's the word I used in the article? Um, I guess whatever the opposite of balanced would be are actually the three in the AL. The East has the most hitters parks probably of any division. The Central has the most rebuilding teams of any division. They have two that are still early in it, and the White Sox, we're not totally sure if they've come out of it. The West has the highest ratio of pitchers parks in all the majors. So one thing that... One thing that uh, was kind of an epiphany for me when I was going through this is just what we what we should be looking at in terms of. So, OK, so let me let me just put it this way. Um, every team is playing their own division and the corresponding division from the opposite league. Right. And so your your natural inclination is to think, OK, let's look at that division in the opposite league see how that would affect players. But the thing is, at least the way Ken Rosenthal broke it down, and I'm not sure you know, how much of this was just him theorizing and how much of it was him passing on what he's heard, but it sounds like 60% of the schedule basically would be within the division. So those four other teams, each team is playing 60% of their games against versus 40% against five teams from the other league. So it's actually, I mean, 60% of your games coming from just four teams. That's a, that's a crazy amount. And so I, I kind of wanted to stick in division in terms of the effect it would have on players by playing that many games against their own division, because, you know, think about like, okay, so the athletics, they have one series at Colorado, probably. How much is that going to change your opinion of any athletic? None, right? I mean, three games at Colorado, big deal. It's more, you know, that they're going to be facing the uh, Mariners, Angels, Astros, and Rangers. They're going to be facing them 12 times each. And what does that mean? Okay, so if I'm mostly focused on in-division consequences and the three divisions that have the least balance are in the AL, then it seems like the players most affected would come from those three divisions, the AL East, the AL Central, the NL West. That's That was my thinking. That's my thinking so far. And I think the one division of those three that has the clearest winners and losers is actually the AL West. Now, part of it is just because you can break it down. They have a lot of players in that division who have been in that division a long time, have been playing in those pitcher parks for a long time, and you can see the effect it's had on their numbers. It's pretty extreme for some of them. I think the most extreme example I found, and so one of the biggest losers, is Yuli Gurriel. Career 808 OPS, but it's 691 in Anaheim, 645 in Seattle, and 699 in Oakland. Uh, Matt but Chapman. I, but I took issue with that one, Scott, with Guriel. Because that? I just wanted to know, shouldn't you just have looked at last year since he became a different hitter? And last year, think... the, the splits weren't as bad. Yeah, but, I don't think last year's enough of a sample size, especially when you're breaking it down park by park like that. 
but he became a different. I mean, if, I, if I don't know you, that there's do much any of sense. us actually believe he became a different hitter. If you yeah. if you buy into Guriel, okay, yeah. yeah. If you're drafting Guriel, thinking, oh, he's just the same old guy. I'm going to get good batting average. Then yeah, I would look at the career splits. If you're drafting Guriel, thinking he broke out last year, he made some changes. The Astros worked their magic. Then I wouldn't care about the career splits. I I presume most people listening, and and I think we've been unanimous on the show that we don't think we don't think Guriel's. Uh, 2019 there was much to it the adp doesn't show that so i i don't think most people are assessing him from that angle but you know fair enough if it was if it was marcus simeon who i do believe in the 2019 more i probably wouldn't i did look at the career splits at each of those parks by the way but i might not have put much stock in as much stock in it as i did for guriel um chapman matt chapman matt olson to a degree too but matt chapman even more so struggled at those same uh pitchers parks actually houston is not such a great park for left-handed hitters either so that's that's another knock you think of you don't think of it necessarily as a pitcher's park but for left-handed hitters it's not so great carlos correa surprisingly terrible in oakland seattle and anaheim in his career sub 800 ops in all three and it's like 640 642 in seattle so you know those those were some of the biggest losers um the biggest winner I mean, basically every pitcher in the NL in the AL Central, right? Because they're going to face the Tigers and Royals lineups for such a large concentration of their games. And the first one I thought of is Jake Odorizzi. I mean, the one lineup in that division that is clearly a good lineup, and it's a great lineup, is the Twins. So Twins pitchers especially are going to benefit by having so many games in that division because they're missing the one tough lineup, obviously. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, between the Tigers, Royals, White Sox, and Indians last year, had a 276 ERA, 106 whip, and 11.1 K per nine. And that's probably going to be, um, you know, about half his starts this year. So, you know, it kind of depends where those starts fall exactly. That's kind of the issue, too, is you're dealing with a smaller sample size than you're used to for all of these things. So how how much do you really... how How much can you trust... Any statistical tendencies over a smaller span of time? Fair point. I'm not sure. So um, are we thinking that each team is going to play its interdivision foe 12 times? Yes. Thir- 12 or 13 times? Yes. Six or seven at That's, home. Yeah, I think the, the plan was four series against your division foes, three against the uh, opposite league. I had seen two against the opposite league, four and two is well, how Rosenthal broke it down. I think that adds up to 78 games if they're all three-game series. Right. Some of them will be four-game series. So then the teams in the NL West will be in Colorado twice, whereas— No, no in Colorado once because it would be— No, the teams if, in the NL West. Oh, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. AL West would be there once, NL yep. West would be there twice, and nobody else would have any games in Colorado. Right, but you know, AL West is is kind of the division of extremes because they have Colorado, they also have San Francisco and San Diego, who have. San Francisco probably has a pretty bad pitching staff. I don't. So that's another part yeah. of this, right? This why it was really tough. You know, it's like on one hand, the AL East got all these great hitter parks, and and uh, last year Nationals Park ended up being a really good hitters park. Uh, I don't know how much we believe in that, but also like. 
like you said, Frank, you got some of the best pitchers in the AL East and the NL East because you have big market teams and they're spending a lot. Um, I don't know. I thought this was a tough exercise. Scott's research is really interesting. I want to bring up lefty-righty splits. Kyle Schwarber, to me, is a big winner because the if you take out the Cubs, and now this won't hold up, but if you just go to roster resource right now and look at the rotations, there are four left-handed starter starting pitchers in the NL Central that are not on the Cubs, and there are only six in the AL Central. If you include the Cubs, 12 left-handed starters in the Central Division rotations, 16 in the East Divisions, AL and NL, 19 in the West Divisions. Uh, if you look at a guy like Michael Brantley, 19 left-handed starting pitchers right now on roster resource in the AL West and NL West. None of them are on Houston. So he could face a lot more lefties than you know, then would make sense. Proportionally, he would, he would have perhaps a very lefty heavy, uh, matchup, you know, throughout the season. That stuff kind of stood out to me. Schwarber was pretty interesting though. Um, cause there just aren't a lot of lefties in the NL central for sure. Yeah. And I already knew that, but then you combine that with the AL central, not having a lot of lefties. And, uh, that's a big deal. No, it's a really good point. And I wanted to go back to something that Scott said that I found interesting that you play your division 60% of the games. And that just instantly made me think of, okay, well, I mean, I think the Yankees and the Rays would be clear winners here because they're facing the Red Sox, the Orioles, and the Blue Jays, who I don't think have very good rotations. In fact, I think they're quite bad. So, I mean, Chris, is that something that you would take away as well? I mean, just you know, teams playing 60% of their games in the division, the AL East, uh, the Yankees and Rays to me just stand out. Yeah, and and one other thing that I don't know quite how to quantify, but is worth discussing, is hitters tend to do better the more they face opposing pitchers. That's why uh, batters do better the third time through the order. That's why hitters tend to struggle when they switch leagues. But they're not uh, going to face first... them more. They're yeah, actually going to face them less than they are over a full season. They're going right, to face right, right, them more in terms of percentage. But they're but... going to face them more often. In I that, guess. in that, It'll be a higher months. percentage of their games. Yeah, they're going to see the those same pitching staffs more through that three-month stretch than they ever would normally. Uh, and so, I, You I, know, I, I don't know about that because I definitely think there are times where, where teams face teams, you know, an inordinate amount of time in the first half of the season and not again for like four months. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's enough for me, but I'm sorry. Right, but... Like those are, there are cases like that. You you will see cases where a team will play another team twelve times in a in a span of you know three months or whatever, and then only play them two series otherwise. But right. you're still like those are that'll happen to each team maybe once. Whereas here, every, every single time. team right. will be playing every other team in their division. They they will be seeing the same pitchers over and over more than they would. Um, so I just think that is going to give hitters a, a slight advantage overall. I don't know how, how to quantify that when I'm drafting. I don't know how to, uh, who to discount or, uh, you know, improve their value, but it makes me think that we're probably going to see, uh, in addition to just teams having to rely on their bullpens more and rely on uh, worse pitchers, I think we're going to see a just a another spike in offense. Uh, maybe not as drastic as the one we saw last year, but I would say we're not going to see a, a regression in offense league-wide. 
man, get back on the Glaber Torres bandwagon. I don't know if anyone here was, but <laughs> based on that, look, the Blue Jays, Oreos, and Red Sox, no Chris Sale in the Red Sox rotation. Eduardo Rodriguez is their quote-unquote ace for the season. Labor Torres is, is going to do some damage here. Uh, Scott, is there anything else you wanted to add here? Uh, I noticed that you had some other winners also coming from the AL West as pitchers who are fly ball, um, who allow more fly balls than the league average. Guys like Mike Miner, uh, Jose Arquiti stood out to you. Yeah. And, and then and, really and just those- the flip side is the hitters in that division. And and yeah right and th- that seemed to be the division where the players stood out the most to me so they they kind of dominate this list but uh, Urquidy and, and Josh James is the same way for the Astros fly ball guy who will spend the majority of his time in pitchers parks now uh, Kenta Maeda along the same lines as Odorizzi if he's facing that many teams if he's facing teams with bad lineups that regularly it only helps his breakout case and on the flip side of that I have Fran Mill Reyes as the winner among hitters because the maybe the only team from that division with a great pitching staff is the one he plays for so he's going to beat up on bad pitching staffs the Twins pitching staff might end up pretty good especially if you, you account for the bullpen but the Royals Tigers certainly won't in the White Sox it's at least up in the air. I think it would lean toward bad. Um, I didn't... They didn't end up making this list of five winners and five losers, but in thinking in terms of the NL Central, because obviously they will be playing the AL Central with all those rebuilding clubs a fair amount, and within their own division, how many good pitching staffs are in the NL Central? The Reds probably, the Cardinals have a pretty good chance too. But that's it. Brewers, certainly not the Pirates. The Cubs, hey, you know, hey. except for Darvish, they're fading pretty hard. The Pirates um, are going to be good. <laughs> yeah, Adam sent us an article over the weekend. Joe Musgrove, three reasons he's going to break out. <laughs> if Joe Musgrove breaks out, it'll still be a bad pitching staff. They're going to have three <laughs> have aces. Um. So what I'm thinking there is maybe hitters from the Reds and the Cardinals, like you eliminate one of the good rotations from that equation, and then they're just focused on the bad ones. They could see incremental improvement from that. I, I was looking at a guy like Mike Moustakis, who not only plays for the Reds, one of those NL Central teams with a good pitching staff, but also spent a lot of time in the AL Central, so we can see his numbers from those parks. And the numbers from those parks aren't very good, so didn't really help in that regard. I'm not sure it means anything. He's had such a long career, and it was kind of slow starting, so maybe it doesn't even mean anything. But I thought it was worth looking into. Uh, You know, overall, again, I feel like this is the sort of thing that you can make too much of. I don't know... You know, I have Jake Odorizzi is the biggest winner. I haven't looked at my rankings to see if I can afford to move him up at all. It probably wouldn't be much. And I have him as the biggest winner, which kind of tells you how I'm approaching my rankings based on this. It's 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 finding reasons within, you know, small, small little snippets of data and then trying to blow them up blow them up over half a season while also taking into account those these are just individual series it's it's just a mess it's kind of a mess trying to figure it out <laughs> it statistically. is statistically it is um and i'm not just, yeah i'm not sure it's going to amount to a big change like we would have seen if you know 
the Cactus League was open for business during the regular season. That would have been a much more significant thing. I think what it does for somebody like Odorizzi, who again I have as the biggest winner, is it just gives me more confidence drafting him. Because before it was like, I don't want anything to do with him. It was, you know, where did this breakthrough come from? He was throwing harder for some reason. What was that all about? But then when you add the variable of, yeah, but he's going to be facing those in-division opponents so often, it's like, well, you know, I, I see I see less room for things to go wrong in that scenario. So I might be cool with taking him now. And quite frankly, the NL Central offenses were not very good last year. If you look at the AL Central and the NL Central, you know, you take away the Twins. That was the only team that was in the top nine in scoring last year. Uh, this is by far, you, the, the Central grouping, by far the fewest amount of high-end offenses last year. Don't know if that'll carry over this year. But uh, number two were the Twins, and then the next highest scoring team was 10th overall, and I think that may have been the Cubs. And so it's a, you know, it's a good draw for Odorizzi. You can make a pretty good case that the Cardinals got worse, uh, the Pirates, I mean, it, there wasn't much room for them to get worse, <laughs> but I think they managed to do it. Um, and depending on how you feel about the Cubs, you know, the, the core is one year older. They didn't add anyone. Uh, their, their big offseason addition this year was, I believe, Steven Souza. Uh, so, like... Respect the, the Souza. Yeah, I mean, look, I, great. I have great. Steven Souza listed as uh, one of the potential winners if the, with the uh, Universal DH. I think he could play every day for the Cubs, and... You know, we're we're only three years removed from him being a useful fantasy option. Um, <laughs> but I think the expectation should be that the Cubs have a just an okay offense again. Um, so, yeah, that matters. Yeah, an okay offense led by Javier Baez. Can't wait. Well, Reminder to all fantasy football players out there that you should be listening to fantasy football today. Re- you know, support our guy, Adam Azer. And remember... When you won your league with LaDainian Tomlinson in 2006 or Randy Moss in 2007, or were you the one who bought into Peyton Hillis after his big season? Well, Frank, this entire Frank week- I'll, just, I'll just tell you. I'll just do the read. And I'm just going to tell you, that I've been embarrassing all of the analysts because my fantasy football <laughs> yesterday picks were so, are so much better, so much more thoroughly uh, researched. It just... <laughs> Heath picked Frank Gore for his <laughs> running back Mount Rushmore. And I just, like... I just can't get like th- this has been a really fun exercise, especially for me, because I've I've been doing a lot of the research and compiling all the lists from everybody. And uh, like you're going to have a lot of fun looking at all the stuff on CBSSports.com and in the podcast and on, on HQ. But it just seeing some of the choices like you guys gave me crap for calling Mark Pryor a one hit wonder. I was going to ask. I was going to ask which is more egregious. Frank Gore on the Frank Gore on Mount, Mount Rushmore, Rushmore is 100 percent. And. And this yeah, is I, fun- I agree with that. That's They're how both bad, bad Frank but Gore Frank Gore is worse. I mean, the Mark Pryor one is like a good pick, and you guys are just babies about it, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> fantasy football yesterday, ton of fun. Heath, uh, you know, we love Heath. Uh, we love his contrarianism, but boy. Yeah, bad. bad. Is that a word? Boy. Contrarianism? I got to look that one up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a word. You know what it means. You know what it means. All right, so Adam, for the rest of the week, I'm just going to throw you the read, and you can tell everyone all the fun stuff you've got going on over at FFT. But today was Mount Rushmore, so make sure you go listen to that, uh, and you can hear Heath talk all about Frank Gore.
Sounds no, like fun. that's actually a lie because he wasn't on the podcast episode. Oh. But he was on the <laughs> HQ episode. Oh, so he wasn't even there to defend his pick. Not uh. HQ he was, though. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm disappointed Sean Alex- Alexander didn't make the Mount Rushmore for running backs. Just had a really... The one that surprised sh- me. Had a really short, uh, a much shorter peak than you think. Only really five years. Is that a short peak for a running back? That sounds pretty good. Relative yeah, to the other running backs. Well, Priest Holmes had a three and a half year peak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Priest but Holmes he was... made it instead. But it was like, it was unbelievable. In fact, in the year he got hurt, 2004 maybe? I don't know. Um, he was by far, on a per game basis, he was five points better than any other running back in PPR. He played eight games. He was on pace for 28 rushing touchdowns, which would have been his third straight season with more than 20. His peak was yeah. short, but it was too good to leave him alone. And, and really, give Priest Holmes some of Larry Johnson's numbers and he looks even better. And that was <laughs> basically what works. happened. I mean, it could be. <laughs> FBT X FFT crossover. We've got to make it happen one day soon. I uh, did want to get into some of the prospects that benefit from this latest proposal, uh, which... As of now, it seems like we're looking at 30-man active rosters with a taxi squad of up to 20 additional players. So that's how you get to the 45, 50-man roster that uh, was reported from Ken Rosenthal. Uh, Scott, I know that you wrote an article, you know, basically who would be the biggest winner among prospects for each team. And the one that stood out to me, seriously, was Tim Tebow. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got some grief grief for that. I, I... This published this article's been published a couple times now, and uh, it fell on deaf ears the first time I think because I didn't get a single comment on that Tim Tebow pick for the Mets, but I finally got one <laughs> yesterday, and it was <laughs> as angry as it deserved to be. Which you know, it's it's more commentary on how little the Mets have that are ready to contribute at least to an extent that would matter in fantasy. Well, when they and, need to uh, get fired up for a big game, and they need a, a motivational speech, hey. Bring him up. <laughs> I think if Sandy Alderson was still there, it would be a foregone conclusion that Tim Tebow would fill one of those spots. But, like, I think it honestly could happen because they have so few choices anyway. And it's like, if this ever is going to happen, why not when rosters are expanded by a few spots, you know? And then when the year's over, you know, you, you DFA him. And uh, maybe that's the end of his baseball career right there. And it, it's no longer something we have to talk about. But at least, at least it will have happened at that point. I'm kind of annoyed by guys like Tim Tebow and Michael Jordan trying to transition into baseball. Like you're taking away a spot from someone who actually, okay, whatever, it's your dream, that's fine. But Tebow, you played in the NFL. It's it's Jordan it's, played in the NBA. Why are you taking away so spots from other people? It's completely. Like, it's you know what you know who it's good for. The only person it's good for is whoever owns the Binghamton Mets or wherever he was playing last year, because they do draw better crowds when he's playing. Otherwise, the whole thing is a, a, a joke. Disagree. Uh, you're more, you, you are allowed to disagree, but, I mean, frankly. There are so many opportunities for minor league baseball players. They had too many teams. They have to eliminate some of them. He's not taking away a spot from anyone. They, exactly. Minor league baseball is a total crock. It is a sham. It should be oh basically God. eliminated. You don't need more than one affiliate. Oh you don't need more God. than one this affiliate for, per team. You don't. This is ridiculous. Adam, you got you're, people. You're Adam. You know, let let these kids be free and and stop teasing them, thinking that they actually have a shot. Adam, to you're become putting rich. This is hor- I hate minor league baseball is a complete crock. It should be eliminated. These kids Adam, are making is... making absolutely no money. 
they should pay them more. I agree, but this is yeah. And this they're not is going your, to. This is your Frank Gore on Mount Rushmore of running backs take. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. it, Dylan Carlson follow, ends one, up outside your affiliate. house with a bat in his head. Why, why does baseball need Adam, so many minor league affiliates Adam, and no and football doesn't even need a minor league Adam, affiliate? If we followed your logic, uh there's no Mike Piazza. There's no Paul Goldschmidt. There's no Albert. Oh, Pujols. they would make it. They would make it a bit. One one. Minor if there's just affiliate? one affiliate, yeah, the, the level of competition would be too Albert hard. Albert Pujols was like a 25th round pick or something. He's not making, I, no, I think it was like 12th round, but still. I, I don't know if that was hyperbole, and I, the internet doesn't get hyperbole, and Chris kind of represents the internet to me, so maybe he wasn't getting your hyperbole <laughs> wow. there. Wow. No, honestly, <laughs> it, it really wasn't. Um, It really wasn't. I, I think that it was uh, that you, you just minor league baseball is kind of crazy, and you just don't. Yeah. Need that many affiliates? I just one. Like I don't understand what makes baseball. Uh, what makes baseball so special that there's just recently a developmental league for basketball. Uh, there's no well, amateur. No, that's Adam. That's not true. And it's being used what, very Adam, effectively. This is, this by is the com- way. like you're you're being you're being. There are 120 amateur football teams in the minor league. There's for the college. NFL. You don't think there's right, college that's baseball? What it is. There's that's college it, baseball too. Right, but Adam, come on. There's like, college baseball. Saying that there's no deve- developmental league for the NBA and NFL, like that's if, just Chris, if, that's if because the best. Pro- hold on, hold on, hold on. Exist, that's because the best sure. prospects are forced to go to college, and that serves as the minor leagues for those. Let's let's call it what it is. That's all it is. And uh, Don't let these kids by go the to way, college. Just I wanted to bring up one point just to get back on the actual topic of what we've been talking about on this episode. Aren't the Astros as a whole winners? We got an email about that today. Yeah, like it just that, came like, in before the show. I just read that one, and and, and I think think it's a, I think it, it's a, it's a kind of smart take. Like if people were worried about the the mental toll that uh, playing in front of fans who hate them uh-huh. was going to take, that's a good point. Like their season should go a lot better. Uh, there should be fewer reporters to ask them questions. I think they should still get plunked very often, and but and not, I hope not Michael Brantley because he's going to face a lot of lefties. I don't know. Would they get plunked as often if there's not? If if it, I think the fans I feel would like absolutely that kind of plays yeah. to the crowd, right? I think yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a that, that, brawl no, in an that's empty actually, stadium. Wow. There are there are like, <laughs> it's actually like there's a lot of things that you can't quantify and you shouldn't really take into account, uh, but. There is there have been studies that show that in professional sports, uh, when you're playing in front of the home crowd, the home team tends to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to officiating. Uh, that who knows how that's going to benefit, how that's going to uh, affect things. But that's absolutely like there are psychological uh, effects to not playing in front of fans that are absolutely going to be a factor. And for the Astros, it seems like that's the one that you can point to most specifically. I don't know how much it matters, but uh, if you were dinging them for the possibility that they might uh, struggle under the spotlight of the scandal, uh, I think that absolutely uh, benefits them. And I agree with Scott. I think they're probably less likely to get hit uh, when there's no fan base, fans in the crowd, because the fans are the ones who are going to drive the emotions. of players to at least a certain extent. I want to answer a few questions, but real quick, Scott, uh, this whole conversation was started because I did want your three uh, biggest winners among prospects. So if you can give me your three biggest winners, who would they be? 
Um, it's all a sh- what does it matter? It's all a sham anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I'm broadening the interpretation of prospect here. They don't necessarily have to have rookie eligibility. Um, I mean, the three biggest winners are probably guys we covered this episode already: Dylan Carlson, Austin Riley, yeah, uh, and uh, well, I mean, those are two of them anyway. Guys who weren't so obvious. It wasn't so obvious they were going to make the major league roster, and now it is very obvious that they will. Uh, I think Ryan Mountcastle, I didn't say that name very well, but Mountcastle, he uh, of the Orioles, I think he's probably in the same boat. He can play any of the four corner spots, and um, if they had planned to call him up at any point this year, it might make sense to do it from the get-go. Uh, he, he might be the most relevant Orioles hitter from the get-go. And uh, Nick Madrigal of the White Sox. Yep. I think he probably is the odds-on favorite to win the second base job now when he probably had to have a blow-everybody-away type spring otherwise. Nate Pearson. I don't see why yeah. the Blue Jays wouldn't let him into the rotation now before there my was mind, Scott. innings preservation situation, and now there won't be. So he's probably just in the rotation. To start Michael out. Kopech. Uh, yeah. Who did I pick for? Oh, I picked... Okay, Madrigal. Nick Madrigal for the White Sox. But, but yeah, even Kopech makes sense, too. Ian Anderson for the Braves? I picked Kyle Wright over Ian Anderson. He was having the, you know, he already has some major league experience. Yeah. He's further up the ladder, and he was he was turning some heads this spring again. I just went with Anderson because he's the considered the better prospect uh, among Not those universe. guys. Um, is that universal? I know Ky- they're, they're both divisive prospects, but prospects anderson and kyle wright there are some people that think they have very high ceilings and some people that think they're just mid-rotation arms but um but yeah i i think kyle wright probably has a leg up over anderson but they both could end up impacting the braves rotation this year yeah it's possible all right continue to send us your questions fantasy baseball at cbsi.com this one's from adam k in nyc Listening to your discussion on potential scoring changes for head-to-head leagues was great, but I think you missed two key suggestions that could help leagues out. First, for points leagues, you could implement the same top half in scoring system as fantasy football, where in a 12-team league, the top six teams receive an additional win. This prevents teams from getting unlucky and missing the playoffs with, say, the fourth or fifth most points and doubles the possible wins you can receive. I think that you should do that in addition to facing somebody. So we, we spoke about double headers yesterday. I think you face somebody, but you also, at the same time, the top six scorers for that week get a win every single week, if that makes sense, just to eliminate some of the randomness that's going to happen yeah. in a shorter season. You could also, you could also yeah. just play every team every week. Oh, worst team, worst that, that, league that kind I of ever eliminates did. the head-to-head aspect. Yeah. Then, right? You might yeah. as well just do total points or, or make it a roto league. That was my I least guess. favorite league ever. I hated that league. <laughs> well, you, uh, you can't talk trash to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> With regards to head-to-head categories, why not have uh, 12-0 or 8-0 or 10-0 instead of a uh, 1-0 oh, scoring system? I hate who, that scoring who, who system. Really, Chris? You like, the one, you like yeah. the one win? Oh. Yeah. I hate, I hate winning a week and getting a 5-4-1 uh, on the scoreboard. That what? is... That is ridiculous. I hate that. Oh, a win wow. is a win. It doesn't to quote no, it's not. to quote uh, what's his name from Fast and Furious. I don't can't remember his name in the movie. Uh, the big guy with the bald head. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Yeah, Dom Dom Toretto. 
to quote Dom Toretto. I think that's his name. Uh, doesn't matter if you, character name. doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning is winning. You never had me. You never had your car. <laughs> Why do you have Fast and Furious quotes just on your mind at all times? Uh, you know, that, that, that's doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning is like something you should live your life by. All right, it doesn't matter go. if you it doesn't matter if you win on a on a on a shrimp in extra innings. Uh, you know, you still get the win. It still goes up on the scoreboard. Mm, what or about shootouts? Because by... the team that loses on a shootout in hockey still gets a point. I mean, come on, we're talking about real sports here. <laughs> I, I think if you Sorry, play head, was, if you play a, like hockey. a head-to-head categories league, and you don't score it where every category is like a win, that is that is almost embarrassing. That is almost like you don't really know fantasy baseball. Like you get ridiculed for that. <laughs> This next right? One comes... You can't be like, no, I'm sorry. Let, when, don't when let that I'm, just sit out there. I, I'm actually with Chris here. Oh, you guys are lame. Um, and it certainly justifies punting categories more if it's just, you know, it's 1-0 no matter what degree you win by. Yeah, what's with Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> you know what? Mark Pryor was not a one-year wonder, so. <laughs> I mean, you're wrong on that one, too. This next one's from Nick Edgar. We need some uh, a soundtrack for this one. Ooh. Go ahead. You can start talking. I'll do the, uh, you know. Hello, Walt, Brian, and Q. Uh. That was really good, guys. Way Thanks. to go. Thanks. Like, on both of you. Walt, Brian, and oh, Q. Excellent. Anything there? That's, uh, I don't know. Breaking Bad's the only Walt I know of. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Are they Disney's? And then I thought Q was, what, Impractical Jokers? Yeah, he was. Murr. There's the Star Trek character played by John Delancey, who was in Breaking Bad. It is a. It is a podcast called Tell 'Em Steve Dave. Oh, which is a reference to. Uh, a movie, Clerks. Well, I think? they're not FBT, so get out of here. Screw them. I am in a 14-team league, and the commissioner traded Tim Anderson and John Gray for Jose Ramirez and Josh James with a new owner in the league who is a fantasy baseball novice. Earlier in the offseason, the commission talked this owner out of trading Jose Ramirez away for a better package. <laughs> what punishment does this commission deserve? That is that is conniving. It sounds like this person doesn't shouldn't be a commissioner. Yeah. You're, you're supposed to start your own. You're supposed to act in the best interests of the league as a whole as a commissioner, and, and this guy clearly... Uh, has no interest in doing that, so uh, yeah, I, I think you got to uh, you got to have a coup. So yeah, so most people don't want to just like kick people. He, he doesn't deserve to be in the league. That's really low. But if if you're stuck with him, two options: one, you make him be the commissioner of a different league in which the scoring is head-to-head categories, but you win one nothing instead of six to four. <laughs> That's a horrible punishment. Or two, I would say you make him lose a week, zero to ten. Like basically to nobody, just give him ten losses, right, right out of the gate. Uh, well, I don't know the scoring here, but Starts you make off him with a handicap. You make him lose, yes. You dock him points or whatever it is. You punish him in the standings. That's really dirty. Uh. Yeah, that's fantasy karma is coming for you, commish, whatever your name is. This next one's from John in NYC. Hello, pokey pieces and cups. 
Yeah, Reese's. That's good. Oh, Reese's. Yeah, that's very good. I just joined a new category league, and I saw that they have six hitting categories versus five pitching categories. How would you adjust your draft strategy to account for this, especially considering oh. if you win six categories, you <laughs> oh. get one win for the week. See? It all comes full circle. Oh, uh, there is a 27 terrible. innings limit, uh, limit, so I do need some starters. My thought is I just draft two aces in the Nola Castillo range, get Hater, maybe a little tap-hap AMC there, uh, and another couple closers towards the very end. One other decent pitcher around 10 to 12, and, and never try to win W's, wins, or K's. I, I don't know why you're even worried about pitcher. Like, well, because your... there are five categories. Sure, draft your full lineup, draft your bench, and then draft elite middle relievers. And, yeah, you could do that. And but I, then maybe but then that's only st- two categories, right? Just punt steals. Yeah, I, I just, that's what I think, Frank. Yeah. I agree with you. Punt steals. Punt, that that that's. I'm, I'm. I think I'm coming around to Frank's thinking on this. In this format, is just. Yeah. You have to go so far out of your way to get steals right now, and it's just one category with no influence on any other. And it's Basically. it's, it's kind of nutty. I, I don't feel like this is the time, like this is the era in baseball to be loading up on hitting, totally assured that you're going to be able to win the hitting categories based on that, just because the offense is too is distributed too far and wide for you to have those kinds of assurances. Alrighty. That'll do it. Great show today. Actually, I'll end on this one from Daniel Dakotas. Uh, he has some, some more nicknames for, right. for the stamp, for the tramp stamp. I want to talk to Stampson. Does anyone know where that's from? Of course. Yes, of course. Come on now. <laughs> that is, uh, come on. That is, uh, that is already in use on a CBS uh, sports property, True. unfortunately, for you. Oof. Right so near the beach. I didn't know. Sorry. It's from Half-Baked. <laughs> that's from Half-Baked. <laughs> and the other one is Stampy. From the Simpsons. Yeah, I responded to this email actually from Daniel and I just wrote back, stop that Mr. Simpson. <laughs> uh, which, you know, he laughed at. He said, some podcast hosts are just jerks. Wow. The Stampy episode is one of the all-time greats. No question. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I don't know, season three maybe? Season three. Way behind on my Simpsons, way behind on my movies, but that'll do it for today. FBT. Season five. For Chris. And Adam, Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday. Bye-bye.